Hello and welcome to our at any rate emerging markets focus podcast, the place for us to discuss recent developments and key issues of focus in the emerging market fixed income asset class. I'm Johnny Goulden from the Emerging Market Strategy team here at JP Morgan. And I'm joined by Saad Siddiqui, another senior emerging market strategist for the group. Saad, thanks for joining. Hi, pleasure to be here. So in the last month, uh, obviously the, the tragic daily headlines and developments that have dominated the news flow uh, around the Russia-Ukraine war have been the focus for financial markets. And um, as we were looking at this a month ago, a, a lot of the important questions about that impact were were unknown. Um, a month in, despite the inherent uncertainty in this kind of situation, we are starting to get some clarity for the rest of emerging market fixed income, at least. Um, that uh, about the kind of environment this is going to leave us with. Uh, and that's really what we wanted to, to focus on in our discussion here today. Um, maybe to start, Saad, with probably one of the, the key sources of uncertainty for us at the outset, which was about global monetary policy, namely how central banks and markets were going to react to the economic uncertainty and negative growth shock, and on the other hand, the obvious inflationary impacts uh, of this. Um, what have we learned so far on, on that theme? So that's right. When we were first uh, faced with the uncertainty at the outset of the conflict, it wasn't clear. Are central banks going to focus on the fact that this uh, conflict uh, inherently rises um, economic uncertainty, it'll be a negative shock to growth, but at the same time, it could also be quite inflationary, given the increase that we've seen in commodities prices. Initially, the markets also um, seem to agree that this is a, you know, a reason for maybe central banks to uh, reassess or reevaluate uh, their previously hawkish views. And we saw US real yields actually rallying uh, in the immediate aftermath of, of the outbreak of conflict. And also central bank commentary, not just from developed market central banks, but even emerging market central banks did talk about the two-sided risks from growth that we were seeing you know, versus inflation. But since then, it's pretty clear that uh, the inflation shock has trumped the growth concerns for central bank. I think already the starting point for inflation was quite high and the unexpected surge that we've seen in commodities prices have really forced the hands of central banks to focus on inflation, uh, particularly at a time when we're seeing inflation expectations uh, begin to rise and really challenge uh, central banks' inflation targets. And that's why it seems to me that inflation is, is now going to remain the key concern for uh, for central banks. So obviously that's all meant rising rates uh, in, in the uh, against that backdrop. Do you think that will continue and what would actually change that? So in our recent discussions on this on this podcast and in our written research as well, uh, we you know did flag that the PMIs that we would see uh, today, the, the March flash PMIs would give uh, an, a, a decent initial reading for, for the initial impact, at least, uh, that the conflict has had. 
and the data releases today suggest that it's not as bad as it could have been. The services sector still doing reasonably well in, in Europe and in the US. And given that, I think it'll just further reinforce the view that inflation is the more pressing concern rather than growth. Now you asked what could change that. I think you would need a much more dramatic fall of economic activity indicators to force central banks to pivot back to thinking about, about growth. But for now, it seems, I think there's less uncertainty now on what the central banks are going to be focused on uh, because the, the growth data doesn't seem uh, to be falling as, uh, as, as much as uh, one might have feared. So it would be good, I, I guess, to start calibrating that. Obviously, emerging market yields have been moving higher uh, for a while in various bursts. How, how should we think about assessing whether they are fair, too high, or, or too low at the moment? Well, one can take a bottom-up approach and a top-down approach to uh, assess uh, whether EM yields um, are too high or too low. I think given the nature of the shock that we're seeing, it's an external shock being driven by commodities prices. Sure, there's some variation between countries, but generally speaking, all countries are, are uh, uh, facing the same type of uh, commodities price shock. They're all going to have to face uh, a more hawkish Fed and rising uh, US yields as well. So I think one useful way is to think about it more top down rather than bottom up. And you know, one can estimate a model uh, for GBI EM yields uh, as a function of the weighted average of EM inflation and uh, US real yields. And I think that does as good a job as any bottom up adding up exercise might do. So what does that say first about current yield levels in, in emerging markets, whether they are uh, appropriate or, or too high or too low. And also, I guess, crucially for the investment outlook, what does it say about where they're going by, let's say, the end of the year? So if you were to plug in today's value for emerging markets inflation and today's value for the 10-year US real yield, you'll find that a top-down model, such as the one that I described earlier, uh, basically tells you that GBIM yields are at fair value right now. But clearly we don't care about just, we don't just care about where we are right now, we care about where we're going to be in the future. And if you plug in JP Morgan's forecast for uh, in inflation uh, between now and year end and JP Morgan's forecast for 10-year U.S. real yields between now and year end, which is basically close to about 0% real yield, you find that your total return on bonds is going to be pretty much close to zero once you include the fact that by holding a bond, you earn the coupon, and that gives you some return, but the yield at the same time is going to be rising, so you make some capital losses by holding it all on an FX hedge basis, of course. So the fact that you're going to make using these forecasts, almost no return by holding EM bonds on an FX hedge basis, suggests to me that the risk reward is actually uh, being more underweight, these bonds. Because if you think about the 
the nature of the risks to our inflation forecasts and the nature of the risks to where U.S. yields are going to go. From where they are right now, I think it's clearly higher. Certainly the momentum of the forecast is telling you that the risks are higher and indeed these forecasts could be realized much before year end as well. So for those reasons, I think it makes sense for investors to be a bit more bearish on yen local bond yields here. So, so what we've talked about so far in terms of the last month has, has, has really been about bringing forward or exacerbating some of those existing trends that we've been speaking about for much of this year. So higher inflation, um, monetary policy tightening, um, some of the risks around growth. But there does seem to be a group of emerging market countries that certainly are acting much more like this is something of a more serious crisis. Yes, that's absolutely right. So for a number of countries that are what you might characterize as being more frontier markets that are large commodities importers, whether they're importing energy or agricultural products, for them, they have two shocks to deal with. One is the fact that their import bill has ballooned because of the increase in commodities prices. But also, as we've discussed in some of the recent episodes of these podcasts, that the inflows to emerging market debt, to emerging market equities, have at the same time also uh, dried up. So when you're facing these two big risks, um, for these countries, it is a much more serious uh, economic problem, one which uh, is not easy uh, to to just uh, muddle through. And what kind of policy responses are we seeing in, in those kinds of countries at the moment? It really depends. Um, different countries have been doing different things, but in many ways, they're doing all the usual things that you expect countries to do when they are faced with uh, these uh, types of shocks. So we've seen uh, FX intervention take place. Uh, we have seen emergency rate hikes or very sharp rate hikes. Uh, we've seen some countries approach the IMF and get external assistance. Um, so it's pretty much the full menu of, of uh, policy responses have been deployed uh, by, by the more vulnerable, uh, more vulnerable countries, uh, which you know, I think brings us, Johnny, to you know, uh, thinking about some of the ev evidence of this uh, in practice. You know, we have talked about rising rates and how these can cause financing difficulties um, in emerging markets. Where are we seeing this right now? Yeah, so even before this, um, we were having volatile rate markets, uh, particularly in the US. And you know what we talked about, the, the curious case of, of emerging market sovereign credit underperformance uh, at the beginning of the year. And that was already meaning that actually, if you look at issuance from emerging market sovereigns, uh, so their ability to, to get financing, it was already the weakest start in, in recent years. And with this latest geopolitical shock and its impact on, on commodity prices, um, actually, as we stand, issuance year to date from emerging markets is lower than it was even in 2020 uh, when the COVID shock 
struck us. And we're also forecasting that uh, issuance for this year is going to be significantly below uh, previous years because of that. So we are seeing in practice evidence that um, some of these uh, uh, you know, issues that, that you've described are actually impacting the ability to, to raise financing. And what's happening to the price that these countries are having to pay to borrow, even though it's much lower volumes of issuance as you as you described? Yeah, so that's the other part of it. The, the bonds that have been issued really in the last month are now also coming with a much more significant risk premium to the existing bonds of those countries, i.e. countries are, as you would expect, having to, to pay up. Uh, to borrow in this kind of environment. Um, so it's a, a smaller volume of, of countries coming and those who are coming are, are having to, to pay more for it. Okay. And then finally, to come back to Russia, we've been discussing about um, the debt repayments and whether the coupons are going to be paid and if they're paid, will the investors receive them? Um, what happened to the debt? payments due in the last week? So, yeah, there's been a lot of focus on this. Um, obviously, we've been talking about it in, in these podcasts and, and writing about it. Um, so far, the Russian government hasn't missed payments to foreign bondholders uh, on its government bonds. We had the first foreign currency gov government bond payment, which was due last week on March 16th. That Reports have seemed to confirm that that has been made and reached bondholders. That then put focus this week on a payment which was due on March 21st. Um, this was actually to be processed somewhat differently than last week. So it went through Russia's National Settlement Depository, uh, the NSD. Um, and the bond that was due to pay also has a fallback into ruble uh, as a currency under certain circumstances. So there was some question about how uh, and when that would uh, that bond would be paid. Um, reports so far are, are that payments have been made into the NSD mechanism. Um, so it looks like uh, uh, you know the Russian government has, has paid from its side. Uh, there is still confirmation needed that those payments are being passed onwards. Um, and uh, we await to, to, to see that. But so far, there has been a willingness um, to pay uh, from the Russian government. Uh, next relevant dates, we have a large maturity coming on April 4th. Uh, and then we will look past May 25th when uh, in some of the uh, US um, restrictions, uh, that those that allow the payments to be made uh, via US institutions um, are currently set to expire on, on May 25th. Uh, and we'll have to see whether that date is extended or not. But then there is a coupon payment on May 27th. So that will be the first test of that after the, the May 25th date. Okay, so it seems like we'll be coupon watching for some time to come. And what about corporates? Are they faring any better? Yeah, so the, the, as I said, the, the Russian sovereign has so far been making its payments. Um, there are lots of corporates, obviously, under various different uh, restrictions. Generally, they are still paying, but uh, this is getting more mixed now as some of the restrictions are 
uh, reportedly starting to make companies miss uh, deadlines uh, as per the bond docs, even if they, they have been trying um, that, that it looks like these are uh, already starting to, to potentially miss the, the deadlines that, that they need to make for payments. And I think uh, we'll be monitoring uh, the situation, both for solvents and corporates, obviously, over the, the coming period as, as this all evolves. That brings us to the end of this JP Morgan at any rate Emerging Markets Focus podcast. Thanks, Saad, again for joining me today. And thank you all for listening. And we hope to have you back again with us for the next one. This communication is provided for information purposes only. Please refer to JP Morgan Research reports related to its content for more information, including important disclaimers. 2022 JP Morgan Chase & Company, all rights reserved. This episode was recorded on the 24th of March, 2022.